Welcome to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes. I'm Tom Hayes, and this is your 161st video cast, 151st podcast for the week ending November 17th, 2022. Thanks for tuning in. We'll kick off quickly with the media. I want to thank Fitria and Grayani and Bramuda Praboo for having me on CNBC Closing Bell Indonesia this week. We'll get into that in the article. I want to thank Phil Yin and uh, Ryan Gallagher for having me on CGTN America last night. I want to thank uh, Michael Teak and Corey Hale for having me on Public. And I want to thank uh, Abhishek Vishnoy, Richard Henderson, Georgia McKay, Matthew Burgess, Tasia Sipahutar for having me in their Bloomberg article about the CPI. I want to thank Katie Silver for having me in her BBC article about Estee Lauder. And finally, want to thank Bansari Kamdar and Meta Singh for having me in their article on Reuters. So, um, so thanks there. The quote of the week is, everyone has the brain power to make money in stocks. Not everyone has the stomach. And we learned that recently as people were puking out at obscene levels. Uh, If you're susceptible to selling everything in a panic, you ought to avoid stocks and mutual funds altogether. I second that's from Peter Lynch, the legend. Um, So we'll kick off straight away to Alibaba. Uh, We'll do the Ask Me Anything questions at the end. They beat handily on the bottom line. They barely missed on the top line. So we're going to break this down. Uh, Here was the press release. Um, so their revenue was up 3% year on year. How they do that in a low inflationary environment, meaning they actually had growth, and you have to consider Q3 ended at the end of September. That was six weeks ago. That was in the worst of the worst when they were still shutting down city by city and they uh, had a really uh, pessimistic, gloomy view and uh, Xi was acting tough into the... China National Congress. It was just a horrible environment to do business, and yet they grew uh, in real terms. But not only that, this has been a really positive thing. It's kind of like Cooper Standard, the auto supplier. Uh, The pandemic forced them to get lean and take a lot of costs out of the business. So when the operating leverage kicks in and things normalize, those costs are going to remain low, and all of that incremental dollar, all of those incremental dollars are going to go right to the bottom line. And we're starting to see that with Alibaba because while their revenues were up only three percent, their adjusted EBITDA was up twenty nine percent year on year. Uh, and if you remember, last year this time was a better operating environment than this year because of just the uh, timing of their COVID. If you remember, they were first in, first out. Uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, really nice to see they've taken out all these costs. Uh, They also uh, repurchased about $18 billion of shares from their $25 billion buyback authorization. I did the math. It's an average price of about $86.14 per share. That is such great news to have a partner like that in the market because basically what they did was they increased my percentage ownership of the company uh, without me having to pull another dollar out of my pocket. Uh, although we did increase 10% at uh, $61, as we said last year, but uh, 10% of our position size, not 10% of our equity capital, it was 2% of our equity capital um, uh, at 61. But uh, the other thing they did was they authorized another $18 billion. So they've got $7 billion left on the old one, $18 billion left 
uh, I'm sorry, 15 billion on the new one. So there's going to be a 22 billion dollar bid in the market. I think they've used about three billion. So call it 20 billion dollar bid in the market moving forward, uh, reducing the share count, which increases our percentage, uh, my and my client's percentage ownership of the company without putting another dollar into the stock. Uh, very Buffett-esque and, uh, and very positive thing. So his thing, we delivered solid results despite, despite ongoing macro environment challenges, which is testament to our resilient business model and our unmatched consumer value proposition, said Daniel Zhang, uh, chairman and CEO of Ali, Alibaba. Uh, continue. All right. So uh, I want to highlight a couple things. So revenues are up 3%. Uh, operating income was $3.5 an increase of 68% year over year. So they got things in order in the most challenging environment that they'll probably ever face in the history of the company. Uh, they increased operating income 68% year over year. Uh, increase in adjusted EBITDA, decrease in share-based compensation expense. That's very important. They're getting that under control because uh, it's you know it's one thing to buy back stock, but if you're just giving out shares willy-nilly, um, uh, you've got a problem. I hope they go more to cash comp and less to stock-based comp and stop giving up the equity. That would be good because then those buybacks will be highly highly accretive. Um, don't get measurement. Uh, adjusted EBITDA was up 29%. We covered that. Uh, Non-GAAP net income increase of 19% year over year. Um, Net cash provided by operating activities increased 31% uh, year on year. Free cash flow um, was up 61% year on year. This is key. Free cash flow up 61% year on year with only 3% increase in sales. Wait till the sales start to kick in now that G has pivoted uh, and he's only pivoted in the last two weeks. This, you know, this data is from six weeks ago when things were horrible and actually six plus 12, you know, going back 18 weeks ago or four months ago. And for those of you who've been following the stock, the environment was horrible over the summer with all the government nonsense and everything else uh, leading into um the china national congress so um they go into tmall tmall is in chinese minds it's the place to go to shop etc etc they were down a little bit on that on on uh, consumption demand um was slower over the summer because of the the things that we've covered uh international uh commerce did a little better we'll we'll get to the numbers here i don't want to you know, I'm less interested in words than I am in numbers. This uh, Kainal logistics business is really interesting because it makes up a part of other, but other is becoming more and more important in the business. Uh, they grew 26% year on year. Uh, 73% was grew from external customers, package delivery from external customers. Um, revenue 36%, delivery, okay. Uh, the cloud was up 4%, uh, which was good. It was slower growth, but we want to talk about, uh, okay, so non-internet industries. If you remember, they took a big hit uh, from their largest customer was one of the online education companies, and that really hurt them in the last couple of quarters. Uh, if you remember, that was from last summer, I believe, and... Um, 
but their non-internet is growing 28% year over year and contributing 58% of cloud revenue. Strong revenue of the non-internet industries was driven by financial services, telecommunication, public service industries. Revenue from customers in the internet industry declined uh, 18% year over year, but that was again mainly driven uh, by declining revenue from the top internet customer. That was an online education provider. If you remember that industry basically got shut down. They gradually stopped using our overseas cloud services for international business, uh, et cetera. So Alibaba Cloud continues to develop, expand support and our partners to better serve our enterprise customers. Okay, so they go into this data, data centers and hardware, serverless ecosystem, et cetera, et cetera. Um, share repurchases we covered. So that's another $20 billion bid in the market. Um, income from operations, we covered that. And by the way, their loss was attributable to public market securities. So the Chinese equities that they owned over the summer, which went down, is what really hurt them more than anything. So that's, that's more of a mark-to-market issue. Uh, the most important thing in this press release, as far as I'm concerned, is free cash flow up 61% year on year. Unbelievable how they pulled that off in this environment. Um, really exciting to see. And as we get through here, we can look at the divisions. So total China commerce was down 1% year on year, which is not bad considering you know the country was on and off lockdown all summer. People didn't know if they were going to have jobs. Their businesses were shut down every other day. Not a great situation. Uh, and they were still able to pull this off. That's good to see. International commerce was up 4% year on year. Uh, wholesale was up 6%, retail was up 3%. That logistics business that I t- talked about, which is at 7% of revenues, it was up 36%. That's huge. Um, local consumer services up 21%, cloud up 4%, which is now 10% of the company, the cloud business. That's only gonna grow more and more, both domestic and internationally. Uh, digital media, that's only 4% of revenues, was up 4%, et cetera. So the total top line was up 3%. Free cash flow up 61%. Very exciting. The stock was up 7 8% today last time I looked. Um, in a down market, by the way, which is good to see. And in a market with a strong dollar today because Bullard, who's going to lose his voting rights after January, uh, so he's completely irrelevant, comes out and says we could take the Fed funds rate up to 7%. I mean, I, you know... <laughs> It's unbelievable. This guy's completely lost his way. Two, three years ago, he was the most reliable, substantive member of the FOMC, and now he's just turned into you know something completely different. Uh, but you know he's on his way out, probably interviewing for private private equity and uh, hedge fund jobs as we speak. Uh, and uh, and that's that. Maybe the firm he's going to as a short bet on Treasuries, as like every macro firm is crowded into short Treasuries. And, uh, you know, that, I think that trade's going to unwind very, very abruptly before anyone can get out. Uh, it's going to be a very crowded exit on the, on the short treasury trade. But uh, nonetheless, that's that. Um, okay, a couple other things that I wanted to cover. Uh, interesting income. Cash. Okay, so they cut a couple thousand employees. That's moving in the right direction along with all, all the other uh, tech companies in the US. Uh, this was um, the transcript from the call. 
with chairman and CEO. Uh, basically on the cloud, he said, in our cloud segment, Alibaba's uh, cloud revenue was 4% year on year this quarter. Through structural adjustments over the past few quarters, Alibaba cloud revenue is now healthier and more sustainable, meaning you know they're not gonna lose like one customer that accounts for the majority of their business, which they had to deal with with the education company. Public cloud revenue grew double digit year on year, uh, while hi hybrid cloud decline, that's uh, related to that. In, in the interest of pursuing higher quality growth, we actively controlled the development of our business that only resells homes. Okay, looking at our revenue by non-internet industry grew 28% year on year. Uh, its contribution to total revenue increased from 53 to 58% quarter on quarter. Fastest growing sectors include financial services, automotive, telecom, and public services. Uh, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, now, this is very important. Okay, now, um, in this environment full of uncertainty, our wide ranging efforts in cost reduction and efficiency improvement measures are beginning to bear fruit, no kidding. Uh, businesses such as Taobao Deal, et cetera, et cetera, Lazada, Yoku have significantly reduced their losses. We will continue to focus on steady improvement of business quality and on investing in building uh, capability to provide customers core value rather than pursuing short-term business growth or user scale. As China enters an era of high-quality development, we will also enter a stage of high-quality business operations. During the, during the eight years, this is, this is critical, listen to this. During the eight years from Alibaba's IPO in 2014, the quality and scale of our business has improved significant. Alibaba's revenue today is 12 times what it was during the same period in 2014. 12 times. By the way, you can buy it at 2014 prices. The revenue is up 12 times. Adjusted EBITDA is 4.5 times 450% what it was during the same period in 2014. You can buy it at 2014 prices. And free cash flow is four times what it was in 2014, and you can buy it for the same price. So over the past year, eight years, China D GDP has almost doubled. Uh, we are confident about the future and will continue to execute our share repurchase program, i.e. if you're not gonna buy our stock, we will. And uh, at, as China enters an era of high quality development, we'll also enter a stage of high quality business operations. Uh, they covered the buyback. We remain confident about ourselves and even more about the future, no matter the ups and downs. We believe in the prospects of China's economic and social development. We believe Alibaba's development goals are highly aligned with China's long-term goals. We believe Alibaba can play an important role in the digitization process in China and around the world. We have taken note of the latest adjustments to China COVID-related policies and the proactive commentary from relevant government regulators about promoting the digital economy and high-quality development of our platform business. This is critical because this was a shift in policy from the Chinese government, but more importantly is the, uh, the McKinsey report about the cloud tripling by 2025 and Alibaba having 37% of that cloud business so if you, um, if you extrapolate that out, assuming they don't gain share, which I think they will, uh, you're talking about a $30 billion business, um, uh, close to $30 billion uh, margin on that, as you see with Alibaba, uh, with Amazon Web Services, once they hit scale, 
Uh, that's an extra $10 billion of operating income, which is 60% more than their peak when they hit $319 a stock. But um, so this is key. The government is now what was a government headwind is now a government tailwind. The government needs this uh, high quality development and, and Alibaba is the biggest player in town. We believe that COVID will ultimately pass, that our society, our economy and our lives will eventually return to normal. And the massive potential of China as the world's second largest economy will be further unleashed. Um, last but not least, we believe in the platform economy that Alibaba is part of can make unique and valuable contributions towards serving small and medium businesses, creating employment and pursuit of better lives. So they're basically laying out what we already knew that in order for the government to achieve their long-term goals, Alibaba is going to have to pay, play a major role in that uh, moving forward. Uh, this is from uh, Brendan Ahern over at the K-Web. Uh, um, this was information that I didn't even see. I heard him on CNBC to say, uh, today. Alibaba, uh, okay. Uh, okay. Okay, Alibaba's investments in publicly traded companies created a gap loss, which we covered. Uh, it didn't create a cash loss, okay, which, which is what we're talking about. Uh, okay, so he's just going through what I went through about the earnings. Um, but the key news here is yesterday, PCAOB, if you remember the accounting standard, the, the auditors that went to Hong Kong, to see ultimately make a decision if uh, Chinese companies will be able to remain listed on U.S. exchanges. So the chair of that committee, Williams, uh, gave a speech at the 14th International Institute on Audit Regulation, commented on the Hong Kong visit, return home, and ongoing inspection of Alibaba, Yum China, and JD's auditors, PwC, KPMG, and Deloitte, respectively. She stated, in December, the PCAOB will make determinations whether the PRC authorities have allowed us to inspect and investigate completely or whether they have continued to obstruct. So a finish line is given. That's going to happen in December. After yesterday's China close, PCOB provided their China, quote, China's monetary policy implementation report for the third quarter of 2022. Okay, that's People Bank of China. So that's a separate issue. Um, their comments aligned with supporting the real economy, maintaining proper liquidity, ensuring loans get paid to companies, and, quote, firmly hold the bottom line so no systemic financial risk. So basically that backstop the market. Um, okay, but that was the key thing there is that we're going to have a decision on the U.S. listing sometime in December, which is critical. Uh, other news, Hong Kong to reduce COVID testing requirements for arrivals. So complete pivot in the last two weeks since the uh, China National Congress. Tencent got their first major game approval as China crackdown eases. That was huge. They were a huge target, the gaming companies. So that's been reversed. Uh, Alibaba says conversion to primary listing in Hong Kong delayed. So um, this is interesting that this is being delayed it was supposed to get done before the end of the year. And at the same time, the PCAOB is going to make their decision whether they can remain listed in the U.S. You would think there would be a panic rush to get this second primary listing in Hong Kong done before the end of the year if they're going to get delisted in China. 
The other th uh, in, in the U.S. The other thing that's interesting is why would the PCAOB, you know, be able to leave Hong Kong so early without comment and then think about it for two months as to whether they were given enough information? If they if they weren't given enough information, they would say we're leaving and and do a press press conference right before they got on the plane. This was an unfruitful trip. They've been obstructing. Blah, 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 blah. So there's a high probability that the, these companies will be able to remain listed in the United States, certainly the big ones uh, that meet the requirements. And uh, this listing is due to, uh, this will get the $30 billion bid from the Hong Kong Stock Connect when it's ultimately done. Um, and I think the reason they gave it needs to formulate and submit a new employee stock ownership program to shareholders for approval in order to comply with the newly amended rules of Hong Kong before the conversion. So they need to add that in. Um, they don't seem to be in a rush to do it. So that probably bodes well. China's top official gives clues on parties' economic strategy. I think the key line here is... Uh, okay. This was Liu. He opened his article by emphasizing economic development as the party's top task. If you remember, everyone was afraid that security was going to be the top task. Economic development is, is back on the table as the top task uh, with animal, analyst expectations that uh, there'll be more growth focused once again, which is key. Uh, and you can go through all of the uh, top uh, China officials re related to the economy. China grants new video game license to both Tencent and NetEase in November in a sign of a thaw in Beijing's industry crackdown. This is great. Uh, unwind of the China crackdown. Shanghai Disney Resort to partially reopen as COVID-19 abates in China's commercial hub. Overall cases during this, during this um, pivot have actually gone up. So they're actually pivoting and lightening up on COVID-0 and testing at simultaneously as cases go are going up probably the third wave which is amazing it just shows that they're they have no choice anymore moving forward um I'll, this was from yesterday uh alibaba tencent lead hong kong tech stocks higher after upbeat china online sales data i think a lot of that's this is coming in the last you know six or so weeks uh china bureau of national statistics said online retail sales of physical goods rose 7.2 percent so we'll see that start to show up in the fourth quarter. Uh, Biden G talks mark a shift in U.S.-China ties toward managing fierce competition. So they had a good meeting in Bali. That was good. The market liked that. Xi looks away from Putin toward the West in world stage return. Note he did not wear a mask. So he's done with his uh, COVID fear, fear play or being afraid of COVID, whatever it was. Uh, Biden trade chief says Xi meeting sends powerful signals to the world. They also set up that, you know, Blinken's going to follow through. They're going to have continued talks and dialogue, which for two years, they basically had no dialogue. It was just hit and hit back. Uh, China eases some quarantine for travelers, even as cases rise. This is the key thing. Even as cases rise, they're kind of done with it. Uh, Hong Kong stocks jump to seven week high on signs of thawing China US ties while Beijing moves to stimulate the economy. Um, and okay, so all this is good. And it's, by the way, interesting to see 
Baba up today, even when the dollar is strong on the silly Fed comments from this morning from Bullard. You know, Bullard spoke uh, and, you know, treasuries sold off, yields went up, the dollar went up about 50 basis points, despite the fact it's down 8% in the last couple of weeks. Um, and still, Alibaba's up in the face of a uh, weak market and uh, higher dollar, higher rates in the short term until they pivot again. I mean, it's just, it's just unreal that they let these people keep doing this. But uh, China issues sweeping property rescue package to kickstart economy. So more of this is uh, coming. China's 16-point plan to rescue its ailing property cent- sector, which everyone was worried about. Asia stocks jumped the most since 2020 as China COVID zero pivot seen. Um, we've seen that. I think Baba's up now 45% off of its lows in a few weeks. So that's just starting. Plane ticket bookings double in an hour as China eases COVID rules. Uh, now moving on to the U.S. Uh, this is from um, Fundstrat's Tom Lee via Seth Golden. Don't wait for the Fed to pivot. Market bottomed before Volcker tactics changed in 1982 because inflation already peaked and market sniffed it out. Entire market decline was erased in four months. And we've been talking about this over and over and over. There are many examples of this. It's not just related. But the reason this is uh, uh, key is because inflation was still about 7% when this pivot happened. It was coming down, just like ours has come down from 9.1 to 7.7. When this kind of change in tactics i.e it could be as very could be as simple as december being a 50 basis point versus a uh, emergency 75 basis points which is pretty much baked in at this point we're also going to get the non-farm payroll report uh, in early december uh, which should show an increase uh, a decline in job creation as you're seeing a lot of tech companies lay off uh, and you'll also see another CPI print the day before. So that should give them enough cover. If you remember, I've been talking in recent weeks, the Fed just needs something to hang their hat on. They need cover if they're going to you know, step back a little bit, and they're starting to get it in the data with the CPI last week, the PPI this week. Now they need to see it on the employment front. You see unemployment tick up to 3.94%. percent they will be very happy. That's been their goal. Um, this is very interesting. Student debt relief applications halted after court rolling. Why is this so important? Well, it's, it was you know, kind of the perfect play. Um, you promise you know, tens of millions of young people that you're going to give them $10,000, basically. You're going to raise $10,000 to $20,000 of their debt. Uh, you better be damn sure they're going to go out and vote for you. And they did in droves uh, in... Um, uh, on November 8th. And as a result, they, they held the Senate. Uh, the Republicans got a narrow majority in the House. So we do get gridlock, which is good for the market. But I mean, you give, you know, 10, 20, 30 million people, 10,000 to 20,000, uh, you're going to have those type of results. That's the bad news. The other bad news is it's inflationary. Uh, the good news from an inflation standpoint is it was a complete scam because it was voted down in the courts and it's highly likely now that um, the ten dollars to $20,000 that these people were paid to go vote in, in one direction is no, not going to be delivered. Uh, so these are going to be bag holders and they're not going to get the student debt relief. And what that means for inflation is that $300 billion of extra stimulus is not going to be in the market. So it's one more thing that the Fed doesn't have to worry about. 
uh, uh, immediately stoking further inflation, which will give them cover to again start to step it down as the spending um, is blocked with a gridlock con- Congress. Uh, this thing is walked back. I mean, they basically had to fight a two-front fire. One was supply-driven inflation, which is basically getting solved as we speak, uh, if not almost solved. Uh, and then two was, you know, $2 trillion of spending. You had Build Back Better. You had um, the Inflation Reduction Act, $750 billion, So that's $2.5 trillion. You had this was 300 to 600 billion, which is now blocked, which is good. Uh, so as once the spending stops, you saw that money supplies collapsed year on year. It's working on a lag basis. And after that first rollover, what we see is it tends to drop precipitously. If you look back at any time M2 money supplies dropped that precipitously, once you start rolling over, the next few prints really started to collapse. And we're uh, hopeful that we're going to start to see that in December and beyond. So uh, we saw a whiff of it in November, which is good. Uh, dollars on track for its worst day in 13 years. Okay, well, probably worst few weeks. So that's moving in the right direction. We've been talking about that for uh, how many weeks with the commitments of traders, and now it's starting to play out. That's going to be great for the emerging markets, China trade in 2023 and beyond. Uh, this was very important. Warren Buffett's chip purchase is a classic example of why you want to be greedy when others are fearful. He bought, uh, I think it was about $4 billion cost. I think it's maybe worth five or six now of Taiwan semiconductors. So while everyone was sitting on their tails waiting for China to immediately, imminently attack Taiwan, what was Buffett doing? He was going in and buying a value stock because it was trading at like eight times forward earnings. And he went in there and made it his 10th largest position, four or five billion dollars. And that's what makes him Warren Buffett. Uh, U.S. supplier price increases eased in October, taking pressure off inflation. This was the PPI. This is the supply-driven inflation, which we're talking about. This is interesting. This is the put-call ratio. We talked about it last week, but it really accelerated dramatically today. So a lot of people are buying insurance in the market. And as you'll see, that's what they did at the bottom during the pandemic. That's what they did in 2018 during the uh, first Powell mess up. Uh, when he said autopilot, that's what they did at the 2016 bottom. That's what they did at some choppy period in 2014. That's what they did in 2012. So over and over, whenever you see this many people buy this much insurance all at once, you can be assured it won't pay. they won't let it pay out. I can guarantee you that. Uh, and this is another signal, which is really interesting considering the fear and greed was kind of towards greed yesterday. Um, I guess people panicked after... Bullard opened his mouth again, but Bullard's completely irrelevant uh, after January anyway. Uh, Article of the week, the pain trade stock market and sentiment results. So this is a bull impaling the the guy who runs around with the cape. Anyway, it's slipping my mind. Anyway, we were a minority voice in September, October, expecting some relief in equity markets through year end. In our podcast video cast, we covered this chart below, which shows that by the time earnings actually decline to their lowest, the stock market has often already recovered to or near new highs. So again, we'll just go over it because I think this is so important. <coughs> this was the mid-50s. The stock market, which is the blue line, bottomed. Um, that's the S&P 500, when earnings were, all, were close to their highs. Earnings estimates have come down about 7% from 252 to 230, 250 to 232 
for next year, so plus 5% year on year. So it's probably right here, right around where the bottom is. And by the time they actually get as low as all the pessimists are expecting, the market will have discounted that recovery already and you'll see equities much higher. Um, you know, same thing in 74, same thing in uh, 1990 recession, same thing in 82, which we just covered with the fund strat. Okay, you could see earnings were just starting to roll over and market bottomed well before earnings bottomed. And by then it was already well into new highs. It's just mind boggling. Um, same thing as the SNL crisis in the early 90s. Same thing in the pandemic lows, uh, which we called, by the way, in the Market Watch article uh, on March 19th. Everyone was waiting for earnings to come down. Uh, they did come down, but by then the market was already back at new highs. Uh, so as Mark Warren Buffett says, if you wait for the robins to sing, it's already spring and you missed it. So while managers are still sucking their thumbs, sitting in cash, knowing that, that uh, know that the pain trade is up, not down, despite any short-term noise, while everyone waits for the recession, quote, that may have already happened in Q1 to Q3, which I've been talking about. Q1 and 2 were negative GDP. Q3, back out one-time exports for energy products. It was also negative six-tenths of 1%. So you basically had three quarters of consecutive quarters of negative GDP. And the downward earnings revisions that accompany a recession, review the table above to see where stocks are. By the time earnings have troughed, hint, they are recovered. Too many people are anchored by recency bias, you can Google what that means, uh, and believe that the market low must come in March. Everyone now is looking for, oh yeah, we'll rally into year end, but we're going to make new lows in 2023. Everyone, that is consensus uh, of next year because of, it's what happened in 2020 and 2009. Whether they consciously admit it or not, that's what they're anchored to, and it doesn't mean that that's how it's going to play. And more likely than not, because that's what everyone's expecting, the, the absolute opposite will happen. You probably hit new highs by March of 2023. Now you're saying, how the hell could that be, Tom? Earnings are going to go down. Well, take a look at the last time we had this inflation scenario. The market pivoted while inflation was still above 7%, uh, and earnings, by the time earnings bottomed, the market was 20% above previous old highs uh, and earnings were at the low. So the multiple here must have been literally like 45 times. Everyone thinks you bottom on low multiples. You bottom on high multiples. That, that's the way it works uh, because the market's a discounting mechanism. But anyway, um, okay, so more likely than not, People will get left behind as known as position for any possible good news. And the bad news is already known. The bears think they're clever. The bears think that they're seeing something that no one else sees. Uh, and, and that's not already known. But the bad news is already known. Everyone knows earnings are going to come down. Uh, and they think that that's some edge that it's time to be short and in cash. And the edge is actually discounting the recovery that comes after that and no one's no one's there if you if you think about consensus if you read all the reports no one's there yet and that's why people are surprised why when this these things happen over and over and over and you can see cash levels are higher than the pandemic lows higher than the 16 lows higher than the uh, uh euro debt crisis lows higher than the great financial crisis lows etc 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 so i went into further detail on cnbc closing bell uh indonesia on friday regarding inflation the fed the election implications congress and the trade of 2023 and beyond emerging markets biggest weight is china uh thanks to okay we covered that uh then i joined Corey hale at brokerage 
publicpublic.com to discuss a great solid company stock for 2023. Opinion, not advice, see terms above. Uh, thank, uh, we already thanked them. Um, and then yesterday I joined Phil Yin on CGTN America to discuss retail sales, earnings, the holiday season, Fed and inflation. We covered Home Depot, Lowe's, uh, Walmart and Target. Check that out. Now, on Tuesday, I put out a summary of Bank of America's monthly global fund manager survey. You can find it here. Here are the four key takeaways, though. Number one, managers are overweight cash and still underweight equities, even after the rally in October, which was surprising. The pain trade is still up. Markets don't crash when everyone's expected it. So you can see here, cash, equities, uh, etc. Managers are the most underweight tech since 2008. This is mind-boggling. If you were buying... High quality tech, the last four times managers that were this underweight, you made money. Here are the blue lines, 2000 and end of 2008. You were a little early, but you still made a fortune. 2006, you made a huge run here. 2004, huge run. 2003, huge, end of 2002, huge, huge run. About 200% on uh, just buying the index. Now, uh, we added select tech and semis in decent size for clients in October. It seems Warren Buffett had similar thinking with his recent purchase of Taiwan Semi. While most investors were not convinced China would attack, oh, while most investors were convinced <coughs> China would attack Taiwan imminently, Buffett swooped in to be quote greedy when others are fearful. This is also in line with a technical signal we often look to, put out by Sentiment Trader today. Average return for Nasdaq each time this indicator hits as it has now, is greater than 50% 12 months out. So uh, Jay Capel over at Sentiment Trader put this out. He said, no guarantees and no predictions, but so far so good. The NASDAQ 100 has posted some pretty gaudy returns 6 to 12 months after the small trade. Put call premium has crossed above 1.18 for the first time in three months. Different this time. And you can see every time that's happened, the average return 12 months out. This would be for the NASDAQ composite is 50.1%. The median return is 55%. The win rate is 100% of the time it has worked. Uh, and um, so on the short term, while we're looking at the S&P put call uh, as a contrary signal, uh, here this is related to the NASDAQ exclusively. And that's the area everyone hates. Why? Because no one wanted energy in banks in 2020. Everyone is chasing after energy now. Uh, and saying tech is, is dead, I think now high quality tech is the opportunity moving forward as rates start to stabilize as the Fed uh, slows down to 50, then to 25, then probably pause. You, you know, dollar's going to weaken and tech. And, you, and by the way, what, if earnings are coming down, if you're so smart that earnings are coming down, which everyone knows, in a slower growth environment, what does better? Cyclicals or tech? Tech. Tech does better in a slow growth environment with, with rates starting to compress uh, and, um, and emerging markets and uh, China, et cetera, et cetera. The other thing that's the complete tell, which we've covered at infinitum, long U.S. dollar is the most crowded trade among managers. Finally collapsed 8% in the last few weeks. Short China equities is the second most crowded trade. These will be the greatest two trades of 2023, taking the other side of the crowd um, expecting the dollar to stabilize and China to rally because everyone's positioned on the wrong side of the boat. We've been pounding the table that the dollar strength was going to change to due to our commitment of traders data. You may recognize the chart I put out in October. You can click there. In the context, the dollar will drop and Chinese equities will rally. Here's how it's working out so far. So dollars down, call it 8% after today, not 8.5. Uh, and Baba's up 
45%, not 38 uh, last time I looked. So dollars falling over. Uh, expect this to continue in fits and starts based on short-term noise, but the intermediate trend moving forward is up. Uh, it has helped that Z, Z had, has pivoted zero COVID international relations and property bailouts since securing his power domestically. The fourth thing we noticed in the report was managers are scared of a recession today as they were in April of 2020 and March of 2020. So, uh, I'm sorry, March of 2009, I have to correct that. So April 2020 and March of 2009. While they were right to be scared in April 2020 and March of 2009, because they did get a recession, they were wrong to be in cash as the market, stock market bottomed before the recession and before the recession was declared both in the March 2009 bottom and in the March 2020 bottom. That's where you wanted to be a buyer, not a seller. Same thing November 2022 with everyone saying recession is likely. They're probably right. The problem is the market's going to discount the recovery. It's already discounted the recession. I mean, the Nasdaq was down, what, 33 34%. The uh, S&P was down 25% peak to trough. Duh, what do you think it was down for? Um, so that's that. And here's what happened if you bought... The last two times that people were this scared of a recession, um, April 2020 and March of 2009, those were the exact bottoms and you made bank. And I think this time will be no different. Auto supplier update. A lot to cover here. Very excited about Cooper Standard. This week we got some much better than expected news on Cooper Standard when they announced their transaction support agreement. They basically laid out what new capital structure will look like. You can read the press release here. You can read the full agreement here. Let me break down how I'm understanding the changes in simple terms. Keep in mind, they have a pick toggle feature on the new debt. So at the company's option, if they choose, they can lower interest expense in the short term and pay it later when global production has recovered. Based on operating improvement and cash on hand, it is not clear that they will need to or choose to take advantage of that option. We will have greater clarity when the transaction is closed in December. So before they had two things coming due, one in November 2023, which was a term loan of $340 million. That's why the stock is trading down so much. And then the senior secured loans in June of 2024, which was another $250 million. So they had $590 million coming due, which is a little scary, which is why the stock was down from $147 down to, you know, $5. Our basis is $5.50. Um, so... Um, so what this is going to look like, and they've got JP Morgan backstopping it with Mill Street. Uh, so it's basically done is my understanding, but it's not done till it's done. I think the market will respond when it's actually funded and they pay off these two uh, loans and, uh, and they're off to the races. But afterwards, what they're going to have is nothing maturing until 2027. Uh, and uh, same amount of debt, about $980 million of long-term debt. Uh, the interest expense after the first two years, because remember the first two years they have the option to toggle a part of that to pick it and just add it to the balance of the loan if they want to uh, commandeer some cash. But um, again, I don't think to... So their interest expense will go up about $28 million, which in the scheme of things is nothing because on a normalized basis, they're going to do over $400 million of EBITDA. So uh, the good news is there will likely be no maturities before 2027, which gives the business plenty of time to recover. The bad news is the interest expense goes up $28 million a year. However, if needed, they can pick toggle for the first two years. Here's how that works on the new senior secure first loans. You can read that, read that. Based on their operational improvement, flow of semiconductors to OEMs, age of the fleet now 
some odd, over 13 years and pent up demand for new, new cars, not used cars, new cars, I do not think they will have, have or choose to pick, but it's nice to know the option will be available in the short term. In this environment, I'm amazed they were able to get everything done all at once now versus having to manage it over the next few years. Uh, next next year or year plus with the two things that were coming due. Now they can get back to doing what they do best, which is leading the field in their three core categories. Number one in sealing systems, number two in fuel and brake delivery systems, number three in fluid transfer systems. They have all these companies as customers, including Tesla, by the way, they're just not allowed to use Tesla's logo. Uh, powertrain thermal management, you could say, oh, car parts, what if everyone goes to EVs? They're not gonna, they're gonna be out of business. Well, actually, no, they're gonna make more money because they sell eight parts for ICE cars, they sell 20 parts for EVs. So the numbers that I'm looking at get 20% better if the world goes EV. I, 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 I'm not even gonna predict whether that'll happen or not. My, my base case is it's all ICE, but uh, if we go all EV, that's even better for the thesis. Uh, here's what they did in 2017 when um, global light vehicle production was up here around 87 million. Uh, we dropped down into the 60s and we're slowly working our way up. We're expected to be back at those levels by 2024 or 2025. Uh, last quarter, they surprised us with $20 million of adjusted EBITDA, uh, which was really exciting. They basically, um, their guidance moving forward is uh, 40 to 55 million for this year, <coughs> which means they're gonna do 35 or 40 million of adjusted EBITDA for Q4, uh, which is amazing when you consider uh, how quickly they are recovering even before the volume, the car volume kicks up because of the, the operating discipline that they've uh, uh, implemented during tough times. Very exciting to see. Uh, the most important table is the one above with the IHS estimates of global light vehicle production. The key takeaway is volumes are expected to return for two, to 2017 levels by 2024, 2025. Uh, here's what Cooper Standard achieved in 2017 so you can get a preview of coming attractions. They did $3.62 billion in revenues. Uh, that compares to this year with the production down, uh, they'll do about 2.5 billion, okay? And uh, $452 million of adjusted EBITDA uh, versus this year they're gonna do 45 to 50 million. So you can see the leverage. Uh, if you bring revenues up by a third, uh, you bring, uh, EBITDA up by nine times, 900%. So <laughs> that's all you need to know. So uh, they had a 12.5% adjusted EBITDA margin. Uh, out of that 452, they, uh, after interest and taxes, they, they had $135 million of net income, which was a 3.73% net income margin. On at that time, they had $18.78 million, uh, 8 18.78 million, fully diluted shares, which gave them $7.21 a share in earnings power. So you say, well, how did they trade up to $146 on the basis of earning $7.21? Well, you add a 20 times multiple and you get, and you get there. So uh, 20 times multiple on $7.21 got them to $146 stock. Um, now, here's what Cooper could achieve in 2024 to 2025 if the industry volumes meet expectations and return to 2017 levels. Uh, they'll do, they won't do 
because they sold off their anti-vibration unit, which, which was a $320 million business. But they will do $3.3 billion. Now, that's not adjusted for inflation. So the nominal on that many cars would probably be, who knows, it could be closer to $4 billion. But we just want to keep this conservative. Um, uh, and then if you put the 12.5% EBITDA, adjusted EBITDA margin, you've got $412 million of adjusted EBITDA. $123 million of net income at 3.73%. Uh, now, as they had 18.78 million fully diluted shares in 2017. They only have 17.16 million fully diluted shares now, which means even with the slightly lower net income because of the uh, anti-vibration business, uh, they'll do $7.19 a share. If you put a trough multiple of 10 times on that, that's a $71 stock. If you put the peak multiple of 20 times back on, you're back up to $146, which would be probably our greatest trade in history. Uh, yeah, because that would be 20. That would be almost a 30 bagger. That's a pretty good one. We might have had an option trade that was close to that. But anyway, cut both in half. You know, be conservative. Cut both in half. You're still looking at a 5 to 10 bagger, uh, which is exciting. So but you say EPS will be affected by increased interest expense. That is correct. Interest expense in 2017 was only 42 million, but taxes, cash pay on taxes was 74 million. Now, while the interest expense in 2024 or 2025 after the pick period will be 100 million, assuming they don't refinance at lower rates in coming years, which I wouldn't count out, they could certainly do that. Keep in mind, they have a $130 million deferred tax asset, which they just moved to protect on the change of control provision, basically a poison pill, so they, they keep that intact. Um, and they'll, they will just be moving into profitability, so they're going to be able to use a significant portion of that $130 million to dramatically reduce their cash tax obligation. So if you add the $42 million of interest expense plus the 70, uh, $74 million of taxes, they had, you know, $116 million before the net income line. Moving, you know, in 2024, 2025, that could be as low as $100 million. It'll just be I and no T in EBITDA. So, um, so earnings could actually be, it's possible that EPS in 2024, 2025 could tick higher than 2017 on the same volumes. The key will be what multiple is assigned? Do we get a 20 times multiple or a 10 times multiple? As I've said numerous times on our podcast video cast, there are three reasons I bought ownership in the company. Number one, management respects equity. They've brought share count down over the past, over the years. Number two, management comp is tied to return on invested capital. Uh, that's critical. You don't see that often. And three, the operating leverage in this business is unparalleled coming out of industry troughs. As we saw, Revenues up a third equals uh, EBITDA up 900%. That's pretty serious operating leverage. So um, now, past performance is no guarantee of future results. See terms above. So if it's such good news, why isn't the stock up a lot more? Well, while they have committed a committed backstop investment group, uh, JP Morgan Asset Management and Mill Street or whatever they're called, the deal still needs to get done. It will commence in December, and upon completion, I would imagine the stock will be materially higher. Uh, I know bankers like to get those things in before December 31st, so they get their bonus in February of 2020. 
three versus in 2024. So our incentives are aligned. Uh, we'd love to see this get done before December 31st for year-end performance. Uh, it will commence in December. I imagine, okay, upon completion, I would imagine the stock will be materially higher even before we see massive operating improvement leverage kick in in 2023 and beyond. Uh, here's a short headwind disclaimer from the press release. You can read that. Now onto the shorter term view of the general market. Uh, bullish sentiment ticked up a little bit this week. Bearish came down. Fear and greed was, was up a little bit more. So sentiment is improving. Uh, but the uh, equity exposure for the active managers is still half of where it was uh, a year ago. So there's some room to work there. And we see from the cash levels, et cetera. So here's the long-term uh, Cooper Standard Chart. As you can see how it bottomed in past times, we're probably either here or maybe maybe here uh, before we get a catalyst to, new catalyst to the upside, um, uh, and, uh, and and we really see some gains in the stock, and that's before we get the operating to kick in and really start to revert back to uh, an unbelievable company. So, um, and by the way, a good way to to have a feel for this is Tenneco, which was kind of the impetus for us initially getting involved. Buffett. Uh, made a bunch of money buying Tenneco during the um, 2001 recession. And he made about a 10-bagger. He bought it somewhere in, in here or here, sold it at 15 bucks, uh, and then gave that money to Lilu. And uh, so he made like a 10-bagger here, and then Lilu tripled it or something like that. And he made a billion dollars from, um, I don't know, it was like 15 million bucks or something like that. So um or 50 anyway the point is you can see the cyclicality of the auto parts industry this is no different uh the difference here is unlike Tenneco, whose board approved a stupid deal at 20 dollars and stole 40 dollars from shareholders um uh cooper has put in the poison pill to avoid that situation so it can revert back to its norm and and make new highs which uh which we think it could over the next handful of years so that that's exciting to see uh, Bullard, we covered completely moronic uh, thing to do today, but he did it. Uh, Fed's Waller outlines the case for slower interest rate hikes, so at least there's some discord. Uh, some economic data: the PPI was huge this year, this week, coming in at zero percent. X food and energy month on month, um, and coming down even on headline 0.2 percent month on month. So that's good to see. Uh, Core retail sales are decent. The consumer's okay. That should be okay for the holiday season. Um, we covered that with Phil Yin on CGTN. Drawn uh, energy inventories. Building permits were better than expected, but still very low. Housing starts better than expected, but still very low. Initial jobless claims, uh, 222,000, a little better than expected. So not much on that front. And then earnings held up this week, uh, 232. Uh, so again, down about 7%. That's in line. Uh, and I think that's it. We've got, oh, we've got our Ask Me Anything questions. Uh, Paul Falcon, Tom, fantastic work. I appreciate everything you do. I watch the podcast weekly and love, love your philosophy. You mentioned, thank you, you've mentioned before about position sizing max is 20% of portfolio and scaling in and out by thirds. How do you decide on position size? Just the highest conviction, no-brainers. They come up very infrequently. Uh, Wells Fargo, during the, the financial crisis in the mid-20s, we sold in the high 50s. Uh, Exxon, during the um, pandemic lows, 
uh, and Alibaba this year. I mean, that's a no-brainer. I think biotech's a no-brainer, bottomed in May. Um, um, so that rarely happens, but this has been a period. I mean, it's a once-in-a-hundred-year event. You've got to make hay while the sun shines. And uh, that served up some opportunities, like Cooper Standard is a heavyweight, uh, biotech, and Alibaba. So, so that's that. Uh, do you start with a standard size, and if it dips by more? Uh, if it's high conviction, I'll usually start, you know, 15, 20%. But if it's, I'm sorry, 10 or 15%, highest conviction. I, we usually very rarely get up to 20%. But uh, these were um, unique situations. And, and um, so if we thought we were going to 20%, maybe we'd start with 10 or 15 and then add, you know, we're a little bit over 20 on um, BABA because we took advantage when it went down to 51 Um I'm sorry, 58, we bought it 61. So uh, curious on your thoughts of targets and position size. So, so that's basically your answer. I mean, it's just a feel from experience and confidence based on like, it's very rare that high quality businesses get that cheap. I mean, this year what happened in China with Alibaba and Tencent, two of the best businesses in the world, uh, uh, looking backward and I think looking forward as it relates to Alibaba in the cloud, as it relates to Tencent, their entire business, um, uh, you just got to lean in when those opportunities served up because they, they don't come very often. Uh, Lewis, I am Tom. Thanks for all you do. Wanted to get your take on Taiwan Semiconductor, especially with the backdrop. Berkshire bought 4 billion. Also, if you can share your thoughts on how effective it would be to follow these whales. I know at the end of the day, you need to understand what you're getting into, uh, but I figured following the whales can at least be a good start. Looking for great investments, open to suggestions on your methodology for finding the uh, future 10 to 20 baggers. Uh, ten, well, Taiwan Semi is not going to be a 10 to 20 bagger, and 10 to 20 baggers are rare. I think Cooper Standard's got a real shot at it. Um, uh, yeah, this actually, surprisingly enough, even though it's tech, this does have Buffett's fingerprints, not Todd or Ted, because it's, it would be too high a percentage of their portfolios. They think they only run like $10 billion each. So to put that much in, uh, you know, $4 billion in a $10 billion portfolio, you could blow up your career. Um, four billion in a ten billion dollar portfolio. So, um, I, I mean, I talked about Taiwan Semiconductor a few weeks ago. It's cheap. I, I think it's interesting. We added semiconductor exposure and high quality tech exposure in October for clients. Um, I think Taiwan Semi's uh, best in class. So I don't really have any more to add on that. Thanks for the question, Jason Patel. Tom, are you able to back into the Baba share price? of the 242 million ADR sold by SoftBank using uh, below info from SoftBank earnings report. Just very curious what they worked out with the banks versus the $91 share price originally estimated and communicated with their press release uh, since it's almost 10% of the outstanding shares. I realize macros are way important and currency strength, but just curious. I, I would never waste my time with this. It's completely useless information for me from an investor standpoint. Like, it, that's just short-term trading information. I, I could completely care less about that. Um, but thank you for the question, and, you know, feel free to use your weekend to, to reverse engineer. I'm not sure how it would affect your decision on owning a percentage of the company based on what price SoftBank was forced to liquidate because they have basically a margin call from all of their, you know, WeWorks and all the crap that they bought with um, no earnings that they had to sell off their good stuff to fund the bad stuff. But um, anyway, they're out now. So, okay, Brian made, uh, made great returns on Petrobras in 2022. 
based on their dividend policy, stock policy, that policy may be changing. I know you're bearish on oil and gas stocks. I'm not bearish. I'm just agnostic. I, I'd be a buyer if they, you know, collapsed again, but uh, I'm not a buyer at these levels. Uh, what are your thoughts on Brazil as a country? I'm bullish, uh, particularly if the uh, 